This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. So uh, we first of all like to welcome everyone to our Tuesday night class again at uh, Bet Juhoro. Everybody is always welcome to uh, join us at 8 uh, p.m. at 6.30 Avenue S. We'd also like to welcome all our Torah Anytime followers and also a very neat thing on Torah Anytime that uh, you guys, if you're not familiar with, you could actually um, follow a certain speaker. So if let's say you like a certain speaker, you could just hit the follow button. You and then automatically you'll get an email whenever they post something new on uh, on the site, right? So you could uh, that's a very neat feature and uh, it's uh, uh, really handy to have. Okay, so let's begin. We are uh, going to do thank you. Okay, again we are le- learning tonight the to Sabina Bina Bat Merivera, and um, so the. A very important topic tonight. The topic tonight is on uh, looks. How important is looks in a marriage, right? For men, many women will say not only is it so important, it's a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. And uh, for women, on the other hand, you know, I guess depending on the woman, the um, there's a few things that we want to speak about. Number one is we want to speak about how important looks are in a marriage. Number two is if let's say you're married already and you're not so whatever you know, God forbid something happening, you're not so attracted anymore to your wife. Is there anything that you could do? Without shelling out thousands and thousands of dollars in plastic surgery and breaking your wife's heart that telling her that you, she needs plastic surgery, that you could do to um, make her more beautiful in your eyes. So that will be the goal, and Mizrat Hashem, we should uh, hopefully accomplish that. So, uh, the, being that we're speaking a little bit about marriage, there is a uh, uh, there was once a uh, New York Times or something, a local newspaper where it was doing a report on a very long-lasting uh, marriage that happened between two couples, which is very uncommon that they should be married and happy for so many years. It was like a 50-year anniversary. So they, they, uh, the news reporter went and says, what's the secret? What is the secret? How are you guys married for so long? So the wife starts saying, says, it all dates back to our honeymoon. He says, one time we were on our honeymoon, we were in the, in the Grand Canyon, and uh, we went in there and we were riding on a mule down the Grand Can- Canyon. And uh, the, the mule you know, was walking down a rocky path and it slipped once. So her husband very quietly says, that's once. And then, you know, they're going a little bit uh, longer, and the mule slips again. And he says, that's twice. And then, you know, so that, you know, they figure maybe the wife thought maybe the mule is, you know, slipping, not feeling so well. At the end, she goes, uh, the mule goes, and like a half hour later, it slips again. The man whispers, that's three times. He takes out a pistol out of his pocket, a revolver, and shoots the donkey in the head. So the wife sees this, her newly married husband just shot the donkey in the head. She's like, what's going on over here? What did the mule do to you? So the man said quietly, that's once. So since then, <laughs> no problems. So uh, there are many people that the way they run marriage is by, the way I say it is the way it goes, right? I put my foot down, right? He doesn't know, his wife tells him to put the foot down, when to put the foot down, right? That's the way usually marriage really works. But the, you know, ruling with a strong hand doesn't necessarily always work, and it's definitely not the, the best scenario. So to begin... We have to, uh, the, the first, uh, point of, of attack is, we want to speak about the, the importance of modesty. There is, um, there was once a guy who walked into a bar, uh, with a gun blazing, and he's like, he's like, which one of you slept with my wife? So one guy stands in the back and he says, you don't have enough bullets in that gun, right? Which means that his wife, you know, has, has, uh, you know, done, a, done a few things that she shouldn't have done, right? So the question is, is that, that when you get married, there are certain things that everyone p- puts up top and is the most important things. But what is, what should really be the most important thing? Now I'll give you a scenario, some of you may have heard this before. You have two situations that you have possible. Number one, is you could have a beautiful wife, like a 10 supermodel, like no one ever seen before, and uh, everything is is great, but she's very, very flirtatious, right? She's not a modest woman. And uh, every guy she sees, they're like, oh, hey, and she's like, oh, and she you know, goes and chats with them like they're best friends, and uh, things are great for about two to five years, give it how much ever years you want, right? After two to five years, you find out that she cheated you, you know, God forbid, and uh, that's it, the marriage is over. Right, but for two to five years, you had this best marriage in the world. You didn't, you didn't, couldn't imagine how lucky you are to get a girl like that. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two is you have a woman that's good-looking, average, you know, regular good-looking woman, and uh, you have, I bet she's a modest woman, and she's not all out there, and uh, you, you guys, uh, you know, go, and the marriage is good. It's very nice. It's not like amazing as the other one. Who here would choose, you know, the second one? Over the first one, like which means is who would you rather have a less prettier wife, but less flirtatious or and, and more modest, or would you rather have a more beautiful wife 
uh, but more provocative and more flirtatious. Does anybody choose number one? Doesn't realize who we're dealing with over here. <laughs> nobody. Nobody. Nobody would rather have a um, prettier wife than an average wife if the average wife is more modest. I don't know. You're not sure. So. <laughs> you would rather have you would rather have a prettier wife that but the marriage only lasts for five years than a prettier than a regular wife that lasts forever. No. I'll tell you like this before you answer any more. Whoever answers number one is not ready for marriage, <laughs> right? Because if <laughs> if he's joking, he's joking. It's not. Uh, well, he was just telling me the other thing. Really I think he's joking, but it's. But he's actually processing that. Like like what? Yeah, yeah, we're we're talking a very hypothetical situation that's very unlikely to ever happen, but very hypothetical. Obviously, what everyone is really thinking is like, no, I'm going to wife that's pretty, and she's going to be modest, right? And that's why they're 45 and single, right? And uh, but uh, but the idea is is that most people that that uh, are ready to get married and they want to get married, they would rather go for a less pretty wife, but more but a more uh, modest wife. Now, this is uh, first of all, modesty is is not only in dress. It's also, you know, in actions, in the way she walks, in the way she talks, in the way she, that she interacts with people. Modesty is not just, you know, having a short skirt and, you know, sleeveless. That's not just, a, you know, modesty goes on a lot more. A person could dress covering all the places that they're supposed to as a woman, but messing up and, you know, the, it's very provocative, it's very tight, it's very colorful, or whatever, there's a whole other array of, of halakhot, you know, that they could be violating. But they say, look, it's blocked, it's covered, everything is good. Or they could be dressed like that, and then they could go and talk with every other guy. They could have, you know, two Facebook friends that are me- that are women, and like 500 male Facebook friends, right? Those type of women generally, you know, who you really want to date a girl like that? You really want to date a girl that has 550 men and two women? One of them is her mother, and the other one is some random person she doesn't remember, right? And you ask these girls, what, what's going on? Why do you have that, right? Always the answer is women are so much drama, right? And, uh, you know, whatever the reason they give, it's not a, that's not a modest situation. A woman should not, you know, whatever, they'll get started on Facebook. They shouldn't have it all together. And if you should have it, you should definitely not having uh, the other opposite gender, having, you know, messages and friends and whatnot. But moving along, there is, uh, um, the, the problem goes uh, further, is when the husband, you know, wants his wife to be dressed to kill. Which means... He wants her to wear the high, you know, the, the most provocative clothing. He wants her to dress in a certain way. And, you know, you ask the obvious question is what's going on? Why would you want, why would you want that for your, for your wife? It makes absolutely no sense. So, you know, people always used to say, oh, you know, it's, it's just eye candy, right? Eye candy is the worst type of candy, by the way, right? It's worse than any of the, it's worse than all, than a lot of other things. So the, the problem is, the problem is, is that why somebody, why would a man go and want his wife to dress provocative? Reason is, is for pride. Yeah, look what I got. That's right. It's mine. It's not yours. No, no, no. Yeah, you can look, but you can't touch. The stupidest thing ever, right? What type of person would be, would, would want somebody, nobody would ever want, you know, like, uh, you know, somebody to, to touch his wife. But to look at it, not only do they don't mind, unfortunately, the secular world, but they feel good about it. Be like, ah, oh, that's right. I saw him. Yeah, I was checking you out. You know, the terrible, it's a terrible thing. What, what's going on up here? The answer is pride. The answer is, is a man has a lot of pride. And, and, this is comes a, this comes into a very big issue. I know I had a, I had a friend once many many years ago. He was dating a girl, and this girl that he was dating, he wasn't attracted to her, but her personality was amazing. And he's like, you know what? His personality, her personality is so good. Let's you know, let's see what happens. So he kept on uh, you know dating her, and it turned out that the more that he dated her, the more that he attracted that he became to to this girl. At the end, you know, he broke it off. And I asked him, I, you know, I asked him afterwards, I'm like, what was going on? I thought, I thought it was getting better. I thought, you know, it was working. And he said, um, and he said something which is very shocking, but also very honest. He said, he says, if I'm walking in the street, I want to be proud, not ashamed. Right? Which means is, he did not want to marry the girl, not because his feelings, because what is his friends gonna think? What is his friends gonna think? This girl was great. And he told me afterwards, he said there was a few girls, um, that, that he could have, da- that he could have married and it would have been great wives. And it was his mistake. And he, you know, he messed up. She should have uh, gone and, and married them. There are people that, that don't get married for stupid reasons. Question? No. Uh, there are people that, that don't get married for the dumbest reasons. And at the end, they really regret it. They really regret it. There was, uh, um, 
there was once somebody that I that I know actually I know a few people like this where the husband buys the wife clothes. I don't know how that's possible and I don't know how that works because I would be terrible at it. Um, but apparently this is what and she likes it and you know a few of them I spoke to they actually like it. So but the sh- biggest shocking thing for me was is that religious man he buys his wife completely immodest clothing. Like, like very blatantly against halakha and very blatantly that's, that's not modest. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, what's going through his mind? I'm like, not only is he allowing, okay, he doesn't say anything when his wife dresses like that, but he goes and he goes and he buys it for that, her. So yeah, why don't you go, go wear it, right? The answer is it's all pride. It's like, look what I got. This is what I got. This is my trophy wife. This is a very big, uh, uh, a very big issue. Not only is it a big issue, this has to be worked on before you even get married. Not only after you get married and after, you know, the, you know, the problems, God forbid, start. I want to show you the importance of this and, and through that I'm gonna paint a uh, picture and, uh, let me take you through this journey. Through this, uh, um, just pretend in this situation that it is you. The girls, I don't know how you can pretend because it's gonna be a, a guy oriented, but bear with me. So, there was once, um, a person and this person is you and you're going on this, uh, a birthright trip to Israel, right? And you are going on this trip to Israel. Thank you. You're going on this trip to Israel and you go, get on the plane and you realize like this entire plane is like full of birthright people. It's like completely like, you know, it's, it's all birthright and it's like almost everyone's Jewish on this plane. And, uh, he, so you get on the plane and the plane takes off. Now the plane is flying for a few hours going from New York to Israel and about uh, three, four hours into the flight, you, you know, there's, uh, you know, you see there's some turbulence. After there's some turbulence, suddenly the lights start flickering. And then somebody starts screaming, there's engine, there's smoke coming from the engine. And people start, you know, going crazy. And, uh, they, they're going, you know, they're going berserk. And meanwhile, the pilot's not saying anything. He's trying to fly the plane, trying to figure out what's the problem. And suddenly the lights go off. And everybody just goes berserk. Right, the bat, the masks go down, and the the pilot comes out. I can't even use the loudspeaker, and he says, "Listen, guys, uh, he says we've been having engine problems. Uh, we have to uh, we have to land immediately." And uh, he says, "Please bear with me. Please stay calm. Uh, we'll see what we can do." So he goes and he goes back into the cockpit, and he goes and he tries to to land. Now he's trying. He most of the electronics is gone. He can't even radio back to to uh, to ground, telling them that there's an issue. Right, whatever electronics he has, he has a little bit left to 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 uh, uh, to guide the plane. Now, he's trying to look for a place to land. He needs to bring the plane down because it's not going to last. So, right now, he's in the middle, smack in the middle of the ocean. There's, like, no land uh, on the side. And he's, like, he's like he's thinking he needs to make a water landing. And suddenly, he sees in the distance, he sees a an island. So, he says, you know, it was, like, it was very far out of the... He sees in his map. He sees it was, it was, it was quite some, some uh, time away from his uh, route. But he says, what could he do? This is, the only, this is the only option that he has. So, he detours the entire plane, and he goes to this... Uh, um, towards this island. They're flying for about 15 minutes. You know, it gets really shaky and it gets scary time. Every, every little jump, everyone's screaming. And uh, he realizes that there's no way that this plane is making to that island. So he starts descending to make a water landing. As he's descending to make a water landing, he notices from his naked eye without the, um, without the GPS, he sees in the, in the distance there is some sort of parcel of land. He thought maybe it's like some sort of, uh, you know, a little speck of land from the, from the sky. He says maybe it's like some sort of island that, you know, the, you know, somebody, some rich people like to buy islands. He says maybe it's one of those type of things. So he decides he's going to go down and he's going to see maybe he can land on it. So he descends and he starts uh, flying towards this island. Within a few minutes he gets to this island and he starts, uh, you know, he, he figures, he sees the, the island. He says, let me look to see if maybe there's possibly a runway in this island. So he starts flying around the, the, this island and he sees there's, not only is there no runway, this island is completely uninhabited. Which means nobody lives there. There's nothing going on over there. So he's like, he circles back one more time, and he's like, that's it. I just have to land in any flat land that I, that I could possibly uh, get. He goes and he finds something that he think he might be able to do it. And he goes and he, and he uh, you know, tells his, uh, you know, the co-pilot, please announce everybody to embrace themselves for uh, the worst. This is, the, you know, explain to them this is not a landing. It's going to be rough, and just stay tight and hold tight, hold on tight. They all go on, and uh, the plane slowly descends, and it lands, and it lands very, very rough. So, so rough that a wing, uh, one of the wing broke and there was a large crack that went through the, the middle of the plane. The second that the plane skidded into a stop, he, the, the pilot runs out and he screams, everybody out of the plane, the engine is on fire. Everyone books out of the plane, he says, don't get, don't grab anything, just go and run. And everyone's grabbing whatever they can and they're just booking and they're running away from the plane. About two minutes after it landed, the, the entire, you know, like a nuclear explosion, the entire thing, the, the engine uh, fire leaked into the gas tank and it, the whole thing went up in flames. And the entire thing was completely gone. The entire plane was gone. So, 
they're sitting over here, a group of about 200 people, and they're deciding, all right, uh, we're going to, you know, thank God everybody made it. Nobody died, nobody, you know, very little minimal injury. He says, now uh, we have to wait and uh, hopefully a rescue will come. So they sit and they, you know, they do all the things that uh, are, they think is going to help. They start writing help in big signs, you know, and, you know, and they start making fire and start making smoke. And they wait, they wait for the rescue team to come. And they're waiting a day, two days, three days, nothing doing. So they say, okay, listen, they probably went out of, uh, you know, completely out of route. So they're probably going to take some time. A week turned into a month, a month turned into a few months, and they realized nobody's coming back. There's nobody's coming for them. So they figured, you know what, we, you know, there was about 200 people there. They're like, listen, we got to, uh, you know, make be with what we have. And they start to make life on this island. They go and, uh, you know, they had, uh, the, the island happened to be very, uh, was full of natural resources. They had running, they had, uh, not running water. They had a, a, a clear water that they, a stream of water that they could drink. They had, um, they had plants that were growing that they could eat. It was good weather. It was, you know, everything was, was perfect for what they needed to be. So, they go and, you know, meanwhile, somebody pipes up, you know, I'm a builder. You know, maybe we should build something. Another guy pops up, like, I happen to be a rabbi. You know, I, we can, maybe we should build a shul. Start fundraising right in the beginning, right? And uh, everybody came with whatever, whatever they, the, um, the abilities that they had, and they all worked together to, you know, they became one big happy family. And uh, it turned, you know, a few months turned into two years. Finally, by two years, you know, there was uh, there was a few older women there, and they were like, they saw it. Listen, it was a birthright trip. So you see, you have about fifty young men and fifty young women on the on the plane, and they're not. It's been two years, right? They're not getting rescued, right? What did she start thinking? Let's make some shiduchim over here, right? Let's play matchmaker. So you know, she goes and you know they go in, they interview every every uh, you know every young you know available person, and they get whatever you know. What are you looking for? And what are you looking for? And, um, you know, is there anybody that you want? Is there anybody that you want? And they, they went through the whole spiel. And then they come to you. And they come to you and they say, listen, they say, um, you know, we spoke to the girls, all the girls, you know, out of all the guys, you know, all the girls love you, right? And you're like, of course, what do you think? Yeah, yeah why not? Makes sense, right? And they say, listen, all the girls like you, you, you know, and they say, you know, there's so many girls I would rather date you first than anybody else. Yeah, you are a good looking guy. You are, you know, you're very, you know, productive. You had a good personality. Everything was excellent. And, uh, they said, uh, you know, you get first pick. The crowd is yours. The crop is yours. Pick who you want. So, you know, you look and you, you don't have to think for too long. He says, there was one girl that stuck out there than everybody else, right? One girl that was much prettier than everybody else that, that caught your eye. And without even a second blink of an eye, you're like, oh, I'll date that girl. Right? Without even thinking about it. So, the Shatchanit sets it up, right? You go, you take nice long walks on the beach, because that's the only thing you could do in this island, and you hit it off. Everything is working amazing, right? So much so, that you're dating for a few weeks, and you realize, listen, you know, we're stuck over here. Even if we would be back in New York, we still think we're good together. So, let's get married over here. And the rabbi says, you know, not a problem. Well, you know, he could, uh, you know, officiate, arrange the whole thing. And Mazato, the first wedding of the island. Right, and solely after that, there was more people that that eventually got you know were getting married, and everything was marital bliss for everybody. Everybody was living in paradise. There was uh, uh, you know another two years go by, and you are you know amazing. You're amazing. You got the best girl on the island. Like literally, you got the best girl on the island. There's like nobody that can compare to this girl. You got the best one. Watching your eyes, there's nothing to talk about. She's like you know she was prettier than everybody else there you know on the island. So it was nothing. It wasn't even a test. So everything was really easy. The marriage was amazing. Everything worked great. Then you're on this island now for about five years, and suddenly there's a plane that goes over, uh, you know, goes, uh, you know, over, and it sees, you know, a very, you know, one of those little, you know, dingy planes, you know, that people, you know, decide they want to take flying lessons. See it go flying over there, and he's like, looks at it, and he's like, you know, this is, I never realized people are here. So then they see a plane, and they, everyone starts screaming, start doing that, and he puts the two and two together, and then he radios back to, uh, you know, to, to the dispatch, and he tells them, you know, what, what he sees over there, and they, you know, look at their maps, and they're like, you know, this doesn't make any sense, like, there's no, that island was never inhabited. So they send out a ship, you know, they send out the Red Cross over there, say, let's see what's going on. And uh, they send out this, this uh, huge ship, and people see the ship, they start screaming, they're going crazy, and the ship approaches... Right, and uh, they send over a small uh, boat, and they're like, you know, who are you guys? And they're like, well, we're from this flight, you know, the, you know. And they tell they tell them of the flight that five years ago, and they're like, that flight completely vanished. No one ever knew, you know, whatever happened to it. So they were, you know, so he said, no, no, no. He's like, it's like it's, we've been here. The complaint completely was demolished. It was it was crazy. But 
we're here, we're here, everyone's okay, Bo Hashem, but, you know, can you please send somebody to, to pick us up? So they were like, yeah, absolutely, and they arranged pick up, and they arranged, everybody took everything, uh, you know, they, they left the entire uh, island. They get back to, uh, to the home, right? And now, after five years of not seeing your family, you're coming with a new family with you, right? So it took a few months to get integrated into the real world. You're coming over there, and you say, hey, you know, mom, dad, this is my wife, here's my little ones, you know, whatever you came uh, carrying, and, you know, after a few months, you, you get integrated into normal society, you know, having running water, you know, the first time they took showers with running water and soap in five years, right? So... If you can only imagine the pleasure that they must have had, right? The Gan Eden that they must have felt. And they go and uh, um, after a few months, everyone gets used to, the, to, to living in uh, regular life. And they decide, you know, now it's time to move on in life and start working. So you go and you get a job in Manhattan. And you get a job in Manhattan, this, you know, nice big firm. And uh, for the first, you know, few months, everything is excellent. Marital, marital life is amazing. There's no fights. There's nothing. Everything is working excellent. Then suddenly you, you know, you start realizing when you're walking to Manhattan that you start, you know, not guarding your eyes, you start seeing things that you really should not be looking at. And you're like, like, wow, it's like, there are like really pretty girls over here, you know? And you're like thinking like, you know, my wife is not uh, so-so compared to everything that's going on over here. And subconsciously this, this eats you up. Meanwhile, you always thought you got the best deal in the whole thing. And you did get the best deal. But now that you see what the whole other competition is, you're starting to be like, eh, you know, I could have done better, you know? Thinking of your, you know, the egos all the way up there. It says, oh, I could have done better. And what happens is subconsciously it's, it starts eating at you. And then you don't even realize it, but then you start fighting with your wife. Without all well, the stupidest things, you know, things that may, mean nothing, that makes no difference. And you start fighting on the, on the dumbest things. And you go and uh, li- life is definitely not what it used to be. And it's going, it's going to, you know, it's, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It says the, um, the, the first problem in marriage that usually happens is when you feel you didn't get the best end of the deal. Which means is, every time, every time, when you get married, should only be one time, when you get married, you should feel like you got the best end of the deal. Which means is, that you're the lucky one, not her. Not her. You got, or he's the lucky one, and you know, for the girl's side. Uh, well, the opposite. You know, she's the lucky one and not him. The, this is so important in marriage, because if you feel like you're the lucky one, you're not gonna fight. What are the, the stupid things you're not gonna fight? You'd be like, well, how, how dare I fight? I'm so lucky she said yes to me. Or the other way around, you know. I'm so lucky that he said yes to me. So this is, the second that you already feel like you didn't get the better end of the deal, that's it, it's doomed for failure. And the big problem is, is that nowadays, most people feel like the other person got the better end of the deal. You know what type of guy I am? Yeah, all right, let her spend as much as I want. she wants, right? She can do whatever she wants. I don't mind, I don't bother about this. You think that you're the best guy, that's already, that's already causing you for, for, for problems. This is very important, and then, the, and then the, again, the fundamental uh, underlining reason for this is pride. The reason is that if you have, you're too pride, you have too much ga'ava, uh, you have too much, uh, you know, uh, self-worth, uh, self-worth and you have too much pride, that leads to downfalls all the time. This is why, if you ever realize, Hasidim, how did Hasidim get married? Hasidim, the, the real Hasidim, right? They go, they date for maybe, uh, um, you know, once or twice. I'm not talking about once or twice in years. They meet once or twice. The parents meet and they say, you know, it sounds good, mazal tov, right? And they go and they get married. Most of these marriages, again, not everyone, not all of them, they are great marriages. They're good marriages. Now you ask, how is that possible? How does the Hasidim do it? How is it that they work? The divorce rate for the Hasidim is a lot less than the divorce rate for, you know, the modern Orthodox or the, even unfortunately, the regular Orthodox, especially more than the secular world. So what's, what do they have that they're doing that's, that, that's uh, um, better off and the right way? And the answer is, what, what, how is it possible that someone, can you imagine this, going out and your parents set you up and be like, okay, you know, you'll meet them twice and, you know, you're probably going to get married. Most people will just say no from the beginning. Like, oh, it's not happening. No, I, I don't care who it is. It could be Miss America. It doesn't matter. Right? Where I, this, I can't. <laughs> you're shaking your head. That's not happening. So the, the, um, the way that the Hasidim do it, the Hasidim are not, they're, they're, they're not, you know, as kids, right? There's no TV in the house, Right? There is no, they're not playing video games. They're not, everything, they're very self-guarded. They don't see girls except for their mother and their sister, right? They're in yeshiva from the beginning until the end. Then suddenly they get 18, 19 years old. They have a girl sitting in front of them. It's the first girl that they spoke to other than their sister, right? And then, you know, the first girl that is interested in them, and they're like, uh, so you're interested? And you're like, yeah, what's, 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 what's the problem? The problem, you know, and, and it's Mazatov. It's Yaduk, it's Mazatov, and it's happily married with 21 kids, right? So the... The, the problem is, the problem is on the opposite end, is that what happens by the, by the, you call it modern orthodox, but the problem is, is that even the orthodox have this, is that 
they don't guard their eyes. They don't, you don't watch what you're doing. You're going and you're, you're looking at everything. You're looking at everything and you're like, no, this one's going to be better for me. No, this one's going to be better for me. No, this one's going to be better for me. No, no, And then eventually you always think you're going to get better. Always going to get better. And this is a very big problem because sometimes who says you deserve better, right? Many people think that they get there, they're going to get better, but whoever says that you deserve it. The, there is a Mishnah in Pelkei Avot. This is very important, especially for, um, you know, this, you know, men, uh, men marry a lot of times for looks. Women, unfortunately, marry a lot of times for money. Not always. And not, not, but they, but it does happen, right? Says the Mishnah in Pelkei Avot. Kol ahava shehitulaya bedavar, batel davar batel ahava. Translation. Any love that is contingent is dependent on something. Once that thing that it's dependent upon disappears, the love disappears. Which means, if let's say a man goes and marries a woman for looks. And let's say she has a few babies and she ages, you know, it's 20 years later. She's not going to look the same way that she looked. When she was 18 and you married her, or 21 when you when she married her, right? If you go and you marry just for the looks, then that's it. The looks are gone, so the love is gone also. And the opposite way as well. If let's say somebody, if let's say a woman marries for the money, right? Money not always stays. And even if it does stay, once you get used to the convenience of it, you're you're you know the love goes away. You think that you love this guy, meanwhile all you love is his convenience, right? You think that you love this girl, meanwhile all you love is really yourself and how she makes you feel when you're with her. So this is a very important topic and a very important uh, piece that one has to understand that uh, um, when, when, when you're basing your love on external factors, all you're really loving is really just yourself. And the easiest example is if let's say someone says, oh, I love steak. Steak, you know, my steak, I have this. And, you know, people brag about how they eat their steaks. I eat it black and blue. Nobody even knows what that means because it's so raw, right? And, you know, and people, you know, the, the, what they mean is I don't love steak. I love the way that steak feels in my mouth, which means I love me. I, I don't care about steak. I care about me, right? When you go and you're, you're dating uh, you know, a woman or you're dating a guy and you're going and, and things are going well and you have to think about it. Do you love this person or do you really love yourself? And do you love the way that the person makes you feel? Now, that being said, it is very important that the other person makes you feel that way. You have to feel that way. You have to feel, you know, amazing and loved and things like that, right? And also that, you know, there's also, you know, the, 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 I forgot which, which big rabbi. He said that, listen, there's a lot of times in the beginning of the marriage, it is contingent to something. It is. You have to be contingent to something. You can't just go in somebody and say, I love you unconditionally. You don't know anything about them. It's usually conditional. But the idea is it has to transcend that. It has to go above and beyond that and it has to go, uh, you know, into something more that's deeper beyond that. There is, a, there is another problem with somebody that's marrying just for looks. Somebody that marries just for looks, besides the, facts that the fact that it shows that they're very shallow, and by the way, everybody now in nowadays and age, unless you're davuk to the Torah, you're all non-stop learning Torah, you're a shallow person, right? Some less, some, some more, but in general, most people that I've dealt with are, are shallow people, right? Which, you know, is something that, that has to be dealt with. But what you have to realize is that if you're going and you're marrying just for looks, you will never be happy. Even if you marry a supermodel, because there's always going to be something called different. And different means better, right? Obama became president because of that. Change, right? That's why he, he went into it, because he wants people like different. Why do people, and the easiest example is you have a, you have a smartphone. You have a smartphone and uh, everything is working fine. And there's a new update that rolls out. And you're like, you know what? Let's update it. And you know that 8 out of 10 you're going to have problems with that update. All right? The phone's not really going to work as well, but you do it anyways. Like, no, no, no. It has like this one little tiny extra feature, and I love it, you know? And you do it, and you, and you mess it up. It's the same idea as why people always, how did, why people lease cars? Oh, I got to get the newer, the newest one, right? The same car drives the same place, right? It's going to get you point A to point B. It's going to give you air conditioning. It's going to give you the comfort. It all has shocks, right? But what? Oh, it's different. It's new. That's why people are switching over different cars every, every three years. Oh, let's try this one. Let's try this one, right? The, the answer is change. They like to feel something different. If, thank you. If somebody goes and marries a woman just because of her looks, then he's always going to see somebody else prettier. Even if she's the Miss Universe, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be tif- pretty, different. He's going to like uh, taller, shorter, darker, lighter, blonde, brunette, whatever it is, there's always something else different. There's always something else out there. So that's very, very important for men. For men, has to have to realize if, if you're only going after looks, you won't be happy. You won't be happy. You'll go and you'll keep on looking and you'll keep on looking and even after you're married, you keep on looking, which only causes problems in marriage. Now, that being said, I did scream a while about, uh, about looks. Looks is very important nowadays, even more so than it used to be, I believe, and, and uh, allow me to explain that. There's a Gemara in Ta'anit, page 23, right? There's a Gemara in Ta'anit, page 23. This Gemara has a very, very interesting story. This story is about Abba Chilkiah, 
who was a grandson of Choni Amaga. Now what happened was, it was a, there, was a, uh, there was a time where there was no rain. So the rabbi sent a delegation to a certain very, very, very big rabbi and to ask him, please go and pray for rain. Please go and pray for rain. So he goes and um, they send this delegation out. They go to his house and they say, is the rabbi here? And he said, no, no, no. The wife said, no, he's working in the fields. So he goes and they find him in the field and they see this rabbi in the field over there. And uh, they say, you know, hello, shalom aleichem, my dear rabbi. He doesn't answer. He keeps completely quiet, doesn't say a word. So then he says, uh, you know, so they realize, you know, maybe he doesn't work, don't want to talk, he's working. So they, they stand quietly until he finishes his work. He finishes his work, and they notice, they didn't say anything yet, and they just noticed the way that he walked back. And listen to the interesting things that he did when he walked back. First, he goes and he starts carrying pieces of wood. Now, he had a cloak on him. So he put a cloak on one shoulder, and he put a bunch of pile of wood on the other shoulder. And they're thinking, why not just put, you know, save your hassle, put it on the cloak. It'll, it'll, it'll help you for not getting, you know, scratched or things like that. But they didn't say anything. Then he goes and they see that he's walking through a thorn bush. And what he does is he picks up his cloak and he walks through the thorn bush. And they're thinking, that's very odd, you know, like the opposite, protect yourself. Then he sees that he's, you know, he's walking barefoot. And suddenly he gets a stream of water, he puts on shoes. And he goes through the stream of water, then he takes off the shoes. Uh, something's going on over here. Then, he, then they see that he gets home. When he gets home, he sees his wife come out all dressed up. Very pretty, you know, very, with her, with her ornaments. Dress, obviously very modest, you know, they're talking about a rabbi of the Gemara, but it comes out dressed up, looking good for her husband. And, uh, you know, they, you know, she, she enters first back into the house. He enters and then the, and then the delegation enters. So before he even says anything to them, he goes and he sits, uh, and he tells his wife, he says, listen, he says, uh, he whispers to her and he says, listen, these people are probably coming for rain, that it didn't rain. Let's go up to the roof and pray now before they even ask us. So therefore, it doesn't look like we did it, right? He was very humble. And he goes and he goes up to the roof. His wife stood on one side and he stood on the other side and they prayed for rain, right? And after that they prayed, the clouds started coming and it started raining. So they go back down and finally they say, you know, Shalom Aleichem, you know, to the new delegation that he's, they've been following him all day. And he says, what can I do for you? So they smiled and said, Rabbi, I think you, you, you know, you know, we came for rain and, you know, so he says, oh, look, it came for rain and it rained already. You don't even need me anymore. And they said, listen, Rabbi, you can't really fool us. We know that it was because of you, uh, but we have a few questions for you. So they first, they asked him, he says, how come the rain, he says, when you went on the roof, your wife went on one side and you went to the other side. How come the rain came closer from her side as opposed to coming from your side? So he answered, he says, when my wife, you know, when, when people come to ask for charity, I'm usually out in the field, so all I can give is money. My wife actually gives food to the pe- poor people, which means that so the poor people are able to enjoy the food right away. And if they're able to enjoy the food right away, so they get better enjoyment out of the tzedakah that she gave. And additionally, it says, one time we had a bunch of thieves in our neighborhood. And I prayed that they should die. And my wife prayed that they should do tshuva, which they did. It says, that's why she gets answered before me. Then they asked him, it says, how come you didn't answer us when we came to you in the field? And he says, I'm a paid day worker. And he says, if I answer you, I'm taking away time from my boss. And I'm not allowed to do that because he pays me by the hour. Right? Not people that uh, are looking at Facebook all day while they're working. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, yeah, I'll, get, I'll get that email later. Right? Every, he wouldn't even answer somebody. That's how careful he was. Then they asked him, he says, how come when you're walking through a thorn bush, you picked up your robe so that you, you know, and, and then you put it down afterwards? So he says, he says, if I scrape my skin, it heals itself. But if I scrape, you know, my, my cloak, it's very difficult for me. I'm not going to be able to mend it. Says so I'd rather scrape myself and let it, you know, uh, you know, it'll heal itself. It's just a little scratch. So then they ask him, how come you put the wood on one shoulder and the cloak on the other shoulder? And he answered, because the cloak I borrowed to wear, not to use to carry wood. And he says, I can't, I, it's not my problem. I don't have permission to put wood on it. Right? He was careful on every single little thing that he did. Then he went and says, how come you walked with shoes in the water? Out of the water, you didn't walk with shoes. So he says, when I'm not in the water, I could see what I'm walking on. And I can see what I'm walking on. I know not to walk in certain places. When I'm in the water, I don't see anything. So I need the shoes over there. You look at every single thing was calculated. That this, that this is how big rabbis live their life. They live their life with every little thing is calculated. But the important lesson that, you want, that I want to bring out from here, this is a big rabbi that was able to make it rain when it wasn't raining. All the big rabbis in Israel had to go to him to ask him to do it. And what did he say? The last thing. They asked him, how come your wife comes out all dressed up? And he answered, so I don't look at other women. This is a rabbi that is able to make it rain when it's not supposed to rain, when it's not raining. Yet he is still nervous about looking at other women. So he says, I want my wife to be pretty for me when I get home so I don't have to look at a woman. So don't start saying, you know, it's all right. I don't need a pretty wife, right? 
even though I just spend a nice amount of time that you shouldn't be uh, you know, going for all for that. But, but looks is very important. You have to be attracted to your wife. And the other way around, you have to be attracted to your husband. Right? This is, this is extremely, extremely important. You look at the, the biggest rabbi. The biggest rabbi, he didn't want to look at, at, you know, at anybody else. He says, I want my wife to look pretty for me. This is also a lesson for women. Women have to know is that they, when they get dressed up, they have to get dressed up for their husbands, not for everybody outside. When they come home is when they should put on the makeup and their, their, all the pretty stuff. Not in the morning when they leave, right? Because they're getting dressed up for the husband. And they want, a woman wants that her husband, you know, won't look at other women, right? And it's very important that a woman has to make sure that she has, and again, men can't use this against it. Well, you, you look like a slob, so I'm looking at everybody else. This is not for you men, right? This is just for the woman perspective, so close your ears, right? But women have to understand that they have to look, they have to, they have to, you know, keep everything looking nice, you know, so for the husband. The husband, in nowadays and age, it's a very scary time. It's a very scary time. You can't, anything, you, you, you're walking in the street, there's advertisements, right? People that, that unfortunately waste their time with movies and TVs and all that, forget about it. They're doomed, right? They're all looking at all this nonsense. How, you know, are they going to compare to their wife? How is that going to work out? Says the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, right? It says, Which means, the translation is, don't believe in yourself until the day that you die. The Baltanua the Baal there, it explains. It says, it was once a big rabbi, Right? I'll read it at one line inside. He explains from a Gemara in Brachot. Translation, there was once a Kohen Gadol, right? The biggest of the biggest. He served in the Bethlehem Dutch for 80 years. and the end, he became a heretic. He became a heretic. Don't say, oh, don't worry about it. It doesn't affect me, right? I could do whatever I want. It doesn't affect me, right? All these tough guys. It affects you plenty. And if it doesn't affect you, then you're sick. And you have problems because it should affect you when you look at all these things, right? Don't ever believe in yourself. Oh, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to, uh, you know, I'm already old. I learned to lie all day. I'm not worried about these things. Says the Mishnah Pelkeh, don't believe in yourself until the day you die. The Satan is very strong, right? There's many stories in the Gemara of big righteous people that they try to say, oh, the Satan can't get me. And the Satan was able to get them. You should never say that. You don't want tests, right? The one thing is that you have to be very, very careful in. The... Next question is that we have to deal with is how is it possible to uh, um, so let, let's just summarize that what we just spoke about over here and we're, we're running uh, close to out of time but we just spoke about the you know looks is extremely important looks is very important but you have to realize that who you are right and I'm not talking about a rating scale well I'm a this so I deserve a this right there's no that that's nonsense right whoever doesn't know what I'm talking about. Bless you, and may you continue being blessed. Right? I'm sure everybody else knows what I'm talking about. The, you have to realize that the more proud that you are, the more arrogant that you are, the less of a chance of you are going to be satisfied with who you end up with, right? If you end up with somebody. You have to, you have to worry about that. And again, looks is very important. It's very important nowadays, especially when we have the nonsense that's going out there. You have to be attracted to your wife. But the more that you work on yourself, the prettier that your wife is going to be. And that's how we're going to speak about it now. How is it possible to make your wife more attracted, or your husband more attracted in your eyes, without, like we said before, having to, you know, hey, uh, honey, uh, you know, this is a great plastic surgeon. Not that you don't need anything, but like, look at this reviews. Oh, look at the Groupon. Ah, nose job, fifty percent off. Not that you need it. Maybe you know any friends that you know you need it. You know, try to like hint at it, and be like, that's not going to end well for anybody. You know, besides that, women usually have a list of things that they're going to fix, right? It's like right next to the list of what how their wedding is going to be is like a list of like, you know, the plastic surgery, you know, abilities that they're going to have. Maybe not everybody, but from what I heard is, is that, uh, you know, they're like, okay, I'll do this and then I'll do this and then I'll do this and I'll do this. All right. So anyway, so how do you make it without, you know, hurting your wife's feelings, without shelling out a few thousand dollars and helping yourself spiritually? So now the simple answer, and we're going to explain it, is guard your eyes. Very simple, the more that you guard your eyes, the prettier that your wife is going to be, and we'll explain it. Somebody who doesn't guard his eyes, somebody that goes and uh, looks at everything that's possibly moving that is maybe a female, right? He is able to scan his peripheral vision without any problem. He's an army radar. He knows things, and I, I remember, I spoke about this before, there are people that know behind them, without even looking, that there's a girl there. And there they're like, it's coming up in 6, 3, 2, 1, and bam, he's right. And like, it's people, they think it's a gift. Right? It's really a curse. Right? They think it's a, you know, it's the best thing. You know how many accidents happen but because of these things that people are driving, and, you know, and they forget that they're driving. And so, so people that don't, that you're not guarding your eyes, that you're not watching what you see. What happens? What happens inside? So you go and you see a, you see a woman, right? 
and you see a woman, and something sticks out about her. Whatever it is that sticks out, you know, she has a very pretty face, right? And then you see another girl that has very pretty hair. And then, you know, yada, 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 yada. In your mind, subconsciously, what happens is, is, is that you sort of morph all these different qualities that you've seen into one superwoman that doesn't exist. And you're, and, and you're like, well, you know, I saw that girl that, you know, was prettier. So why should I settle for this? There's obviously better out there. And then, you know, there's one girl in the office. She has a great personality. So why should I settle for this? You morph everything that you see. And this, by the way, everything that I'm saying goes for, for a woman, but just reverse that. Right? This is just more applicable to men, so it's easier to, uh, to, to cater to them. The, when, you're, when, you're, when you're going and you're looking at all these things, it completely, you know, first of all, raises your expectations. Be like, oh, come on. You know, she's not, you know, this supermodel and she's not this. You're looking at everybody else and that's going to bring yourself down. Even, this, is, this I'm talking about just before you're married. We didn't even get to when you're married. Now, what happens if, let's say, you, you know, look at magazines and you're looking at, you know, uh, unfortunately, you, you waste your time with sins of watching TVs and movies and all this nonsense. When you're doing all these things, what do you see? You see people that are to perfection, right? Not only are they to perfection, sometimes they actually have to Photoshop them to additional perfection. And they do special effects for additional perfection. Right, so you see the, all these things, and this is what what is the average American? We said watches a, a you know a TV a, a daily di- you know day is like four hours or something like that, which is ridiculous. It makes absolutely no sense. And I said once four hours, and they're like, no, I think it's more like six. Someone mentioned, right? So, so whatever it is, that's terrible, right? Which means that so for four hours a day, people are just having things flown at them, right? From women that are you know supermodels to men that all they do is they take one pill and they look like Arnold Schwarzenegger right oh, just buy it for thirty nine ninety nine. we'll send you two free right and you have you have all this nonsense that gets shoved down your throat and then you go on your first date and your first date you know she's a pretty girl everything is good but you're like oh come on you know what show I saw tonight oh come on you can't compare the two Right? Even if you don't think about that, like, it, it's in you subconsciously. It's in you subconsciously because you, you had that. You, you had that, that, that uh, expectation that you need. There is, uh, uh, you know, and this, all this gets put on steroids if you actually have, you know, relationships before you get married. I'm talking about physical relationships. If you have a physical relationship before you get married, this is all gets even more so. Which means is, is that, you know, yeah, you dated five girls. You know, unfortunately, you know, you weren't, before you became religious, you dated a few girls for a long time. What happens is, is that because everything that I said just puts that on steroids, which means is if you dated a girl, she had an amazing personality. Everything else was in the toilet, but that personality was amazing, right? And then you date another girl, looks amazing. Everything else, whatever, average. Then you date another girl, each one had a special quality. What happens is when you get married, it's something a little bit different. What happens when you get married, you'd be like, Phew, you know, I could have, you know, and things don't work out. The first time you're like, ah. Oh, I should have married, uh, you know, girlfriend number one, girlfriend number two. God, it would have been much better than this. You don't think about all her bad qualities. You just think about the good, right? People always say the good old days. It's never all the bad old days when I was broken. I was in college and I didn't have any money. No, the good old days when I was able to party all night long and I was able to eat stuff and my stomach was made out of metal and then it, no problem, right? They, people always think about the good old days. It's never the bad old days. Because the reason is because you always realize the good. If you go and you're having all these physical relationships before you get married, you're going to remember only the good. You're going to remember only the good, which is going to come in a very, very big problematic issue when you get married. When you get married, it's going to be like, you know, every little fight, you can be like, I knew I messed it up. You know, God forbid you should ever say that out loud. It's like, what'd you say? I love you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, um, anyways, moving on. The, there's another important concept, and I mention it so many times, and I'll mention it again so many times. People think that, okay, you know, and, and bear with me, is it okay we have a few more minutes? And we're going to wrap it up. Okay, we'll wrap it up. So, um, this is the thing. Yes, I have. There's always one person. <laughs> Everyone else is like, come on already. <laughs> it's hot over here. My show is starting soon. Hot special. I'm not just kidding. So, uh, that's not allowed. I have another speaker that I'm running to. So, uh, but first of all, a person has to understand also that when you're learning to walk, it's similar to working out, right? If you're working out, right, if let's say you want to build muscle, right? If you want to build muscle, so you start off uh, curling, let's say, uh, let's say 25 pounds, or whatever, let's say 15 pounds, right? You start 15 pounds, and you do it until, you know, 10 reps. And then you come back, you know, next week, and you be like, you know what? I'm feeling strong. I ate a big meal today. 12 and a half pounds. Why not, right? And you go, you go a little bit up. And eventually, you build yourself up, right? Now, what's the trick? How do you build muscle? When you, the way you build muscle is you have to do something called tearing it. You have to tear the muscle. If you want to become a bodybuilder, you have to go, and let's say you could only lift this 80, you're up to 80 pounds curling, right? And you're lifting 80 pounds, but you can do three times, right? And you're doing it three times. You know when you're building muscle? The fourth time. When you can't do it anymore and you force yourself. 
That's when you're building the muscle. When you when you feel like you're done, and then you push yourself another two. You want to build muscle. You want to you know the, the, that's that's a trick of, of of gaining anything. You want to you know it's the same thing with memory. You want to you want to build it up. You go to where you can't go anymore, and then you go another two steps, and that's when you build it. The same thing with Torah. Torah. That many people have attention spans about 30 to 40 seconds, right? So they go on and off for about an hour right there. And they're like, oh, it's an hour. Come on. Let's go. It's, uh, you know, it's time to finish up. It's time to wrap it up. You don't realize that there's a certain time that Yetzirah says, fine, fine. Oh, the guy's going to say nice stories. You're probably not going to gain anything. You know, whatever. It's fine. Yeah, and he goes. And then finally he starts getting nervous. He says, you're here for an hour. It's going to start making an effect. So he starts, you know, making it a little bit hot. So, or, you know, like starts, uh, you know, checking your phone. Right, doing the swipe, swipe, swipe back and forth type of thing where you don't do anything, right? And then you start, uh, you know, the yetzah starts working really hard. You, you want to know when you grow into a when you feel like you can't handle it anymore, then you push yourself another five, ten minutes, and you push yourself and you concentrate. That's when you're going to grow spiritually, right? The same thing works with anything else. Moving back to where we got uh, left off, so that doesn't count in a few minutes. That was just a side topic. We're gonna now, now a few more minutes. So, the um, where was I? Oh, very, very important, extremely important. Everybody has a certain amount of, of, of pleasure that they're supposed to get in the next world, uh, in this world, right? There's a certain amount of money that they're supposed to make in this world. And I spoke about this many times, but bear with me, this is so important, right? And the easiest way is imagine you have a fuel tank, a gas, right? The more you drive, the less gas that you have. The more that you use out of your spiritual tank, the less that you have. So let's say, for example, money is the easiest example, and it's the one I, I usually get. If somebody was supposed to make a certain amount of money this year, and he goes and he has an opportunity that he's going to make some money, but it's illegal, and he goes and he decides he's going to do it. I'm not going to go. I know I spoke about this idea before. But he goes and he, and he, and he does, this, this, uh, um, he does this, this deal and he makes the money. Right? The biggest kicker that's going to hurt him is besides the fact that he's always looking over his shoulder. He's not actually enjoying the money in this world. When he guns him to the next world, God's going to say, like, you know, you stole $10 million. If you would have waited six weeks, you were going to come to it legally. You're, that was going to become to you anyway. What, do you think you could take something that doesn't belong to you? You are going to get that. You are going to get that money. But you couldn't wait, so now you're suffering both in this world and in the next world. The same thing is with, let's say, uh, sexual pleasure. Many people are like, okay, you know what, I'll have some fun. You know, the stupidest thing I ever heard was practice. Let's make some, you know, we have to practice before we're married. Right? It's, it's the dumbest thing, right? And I, I think I spoke about it, you know, over, I think I spoke about it over here. The one thing that you want somebody to not have experience with is marriage. You don't want to marry, you want pra- marry somebody who's divorced five times. You must be good at it by this time, right? That's married five times already. Just the opposite. You want somebody who has no experience. You want somebody who has no, nothing, nothing to do with uh, no understanding in, in marriage, and you go and you build a life together. You have a certain amount of pleasure in this world, right? If you go and you take it earlier, illegally, all you're doing is you're stealing it from yourself and your husband in the future. It's a lose-lose situation. It makes no sense. If you're dating a girl, and things are going well, and you even want to get married with her, the, the most important thing is you should say, okay, show me only God. We can't touch. We can't do anything. We can't become physical. If we do, we're just stealing from ourselves in the future. And that's why some people go, they're married for, you know, they date for seven years, right? They get married and they're bored. And it's like, oh, you know, what's halakhically allowed to do in the bedroom, right? Can we, we need to do, you know why you're bored? Because you used up all the things illegally. You had everything that was coming for you. And not only that is when you do it the right way, you it's a mitzvah. Now, I mean, it's fine. You can get more and more and more and more. You can build it up. You can build your meter up when you do it the right way. There's so many things that people just lose out when doing the wrong way. It is very, very important that you have to be careful with this physical, physical relationship before you get married. Mess up your marriage. It just messes it up. It messes it up. You start, besides the fact that you start comparing. You start comparing to everything else that you had in the, in the previous thing. Right? The, and what happens if someone did this? Serious chuva. Someone does serious chuva, it's gonna clean them. It's gonna clean them completely. Right? Again, it's serious chuva. Now I want to finish off with the last thought. And they'll open up to any questions. Um, there is, there, uh, there's very interesting when you look in the creation. In the creation of the world, right? You go to Shesed Maaseh Bereshit, right? It looks like everything that, you, you look at the creation, you read the story, and you think outside the box for a second, it looks like things did not go as planned, right? What, the first, the first day God created a certain light, right? Oh Haganuz it's called, right? After 36 hours, God had to remove this light. Something wasn't going on out there. The second day, God had to split the heavens and the, and, the, and the earth, right? And it says that's the day. It doesn't say, it says that it wasn't, uh, it doesn't say that, it, that he told on that day, right? Also, there's also explanation that, that hell was created on the second day. The third day, Hagadjibahu uh, tells the, the trees, Etz pli or sepli, which means is a tree and its bark should taste the same. Nobody listened except for the etrog, right? Seems like things are not going as planned, right? Then you have the fourth day where you have the lights, right? And then the sun and the moon. Both had equal life. 
And suddenly the moon says, hey, listen, God, uh, we can't have two superpowers running over the world over here. You have to do something, right? And then God says, okay, then you're going to lose the life. You look at it, it does not seem to be like it worked out well. It looks like it, it looks like it was it, a lot of things failed, didn't go according to plan. The obvious question is, this is God. What does it mean that this didn't work out and this didn't work out and this is what, this is not good? At the end of all the creation, you see that God said that it was good twice. It was good twice. Why was why did it say it was good twice? And this is such an important lesson. And I heard this, if I'm not mistaken, from Zachary Wallace many uh, years ago. And he says this, he says, you see from here that imperfection is perfection. What you think as imperfection is really perfection. There are many people, we're finished with this last uh, story thing. There are many people that they think that, you know, you have a, a one somebody who's absolutely gorgeous. And you have a guy who's so handsome, everyone has money, everything is like excellent. And they get married, you think they must have the best marriage. And meanwhile, it is the worst marriage possible. And you're like, how is it possible? Good midot, good this, good, everything is good. And the answer is, you don't fit like a puzzle if you're like this. Everything, you, there's something that the wife has that is missing qualities and something that the husband has that are, that are additional qualities. And together they go and they connect. And with that connection, they go and they rise higher. The biggest perfect marriage in, in this world is an imperfect marriage. You have two people that are imperfect working together, working with each other to gain to perfection. There are many times you go and you're married and you're like, oh, well, you know, this, you know, this, why, why is my wife, unfortunately, it's never happened, but you know, oh, my wife was so lazy, you know, she doesn't work, so they watch computer shopping all day, right? And their husband says, this guy doesn't, so stingy, he looks at my bills all the time, you know? And, and you, you don't realize that both of this is what you are working together to gain to perfection of that. That's exactly, if God put you together, that means that you have the ultimate ability to gain the most from each other. Which means is that you may see like, oh, the, the best thing that could happen is that she's lazy. The best thing that could happen to you is that he's stingy. And together you work together to, to complete yourselves and to, and to raise yourself to a higher level. A quick recap. Looks, very important. Very important, and it has to be. You have to be attracted to your wife, right? There are many people, and, 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 and I am nobody, to disagree with big rabbis. And if they say whatever they say goes. But I strongly feel, and I have, you know, I spoke to a few rabbis and they, and they agree with me. Nowadays and age, especially to the, to, you know, to the generation that we're dealing with, somebody has to, must, it's a must. They must be attracted to their wife. And, the, and she must be attracted to the husband. Otherwise, there's going to be problems. You have to be, you have to be attracted. That being said, the more that you guard your, that your eyes, the prettier that your wife is going to be. And vice versa as well. The more that you watch yourself, the prettier that she's going to make it. You want, guaranteed, I guarantee it. I, I, peop, I've told this to people. They came back to me. And they said it works 100%. Not like 99%, it works 100%. It's a guarantee thing, right? You will make your wife prettier in your eyes. And what more can a man want? By guarding your eyes. You don't gain anything by looking at another girl, right? You gain absolutely nothing. A moment of pleasure, right? It, it's, it's useless. It's useless. So you got to work. And nowadays is the summer. It's a very, very difficult time, right? It's a very difficult time, both for men, for guarding your eyes, and for women, for dressing modestly, to making the, somebody else, you know, preventing from guarding their eyes. So it's very important, very imperative, Right? Even if you're not married yet, now is the time to start. It's going to be easier then. Any questions? No questions. You told me. Uh, <laughs> Good? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.